It is Friday, which means it's time to get in the cage here on 710 ESPN Seattle. It's brought to you by the Emerald Queen Casino. You know this guy by now. He's a regular on the show. He provides great content, does a brilliant job covering the sport of MMA for MMAfighting.com. Talking about the one, the only Damon Martin is with us. Damon, how are you, man? I am good. How are you? I'm, I'm doing great. It's been a while since we've had a chance to catch up, so I want to hit you with a few things, but I want to hit on something that I know you wrote about uh, today for MMAfighting.com, and that is Bellator announces a move from Paramount Network to CBS Sports Network. Tell me how you view this. For those that didn't get a chance to read your piece, is this a good thing for, for Bellator? Is it a bigger profile? It's not as good? What do you think? Well, I'd say it's a mixed bag. You know, in terms of, you know, households, CBS Sports Network isn't available in as many households as Paramount Network, and it's typically not as big of a network overall. So that's kind of the downside. The positive side is they are now on a dedicated sports network, which means a lot more Bellator programming can go up there because it actually makes sense to broadcast there because it is a sports network. You also add in that they're going to start being able to live uh, broadcast all of their shows, meaning that a lot of shows take place overseas. They're doing shows in Italy, a show in France coming up. And typically Bellator have to uh, tape delay those broadcasts here in the United States. So they would happen in France, let's say, at normal time over there at 9 p.m., but then they wouldn't actually air it over here until 9 p.m. So it are, it, the event would have already happened, and it would be tape delayed. And they also had a problem with Paramount Network, something to do with the contracts. I'm not sure exactly how it worked, but basically a lot of their shows that would happen on the East Coast would actually get tape delayed on the West Coast. So if a show took place on the East Coast at 9 o'clock, you wouldn't actually see it until 9 o'clock on the West Coast, which means it already happened three hours earlier. So you'd have to, you know, try to find a stream online or, you know, watch it legally or whatever the case may be. So there's no more of that. Everything's going to be live. Everything's going to be on time. They're going to start doing some shows on Thursday nights, which I think is kind of a fun idea. Uh, you know, it's actually a better television night typically than a Friday night, which is usually when Bellator is on. So there's positives and negatives. As far as the gap between talent the UFC and Bellator it used to be huge, in my opinion. And then you started seeing guys, you know, slowly one by one free agents from the UFC head over to to Bellator. And often it was the older guys, but then it was, you know, guys that were in their prime or close to it, like Benson Henderson and Rory McDonald. And, and now you see a whole bunch of fighters that were former UFC fighters in Bellator. Do you, do you think that gap has, has closed substantially or do you think there's still a pretty big, pretty big gap between the talent levels of these two promotions? Well, I think when you talk about the top of the divisions, you're not looking at nearly as big of a gap, especially when you look at some of the homegrown talent that Bellator has built up. I and mean, when you look at Vadim Nimkov, who just won the light heavyweight title with a dominant win over Ryan Bader, who was a you know top five light heavyweight pretty much his entire UFC career, to go out and do what Nimkov did to him is very impressive. That's homegrown talent. You look at Douglas Lima, their welterweight champion, and Listen, I think Kamar Usman's the best welterweight in the sport, and I would argue maybe one of the greatest. He could end up being one of the greatest welterweights of all time, and I would favor him to beat any welterweight in the world right now. But Douglas Lima is absolutely on that level, meaning he could go in there and make it a competitive fight against any of the top guys in the UFC, be it Usman or Colby Covington or Tyron Woodley or Gilbert Burns or any of those guys. So at the top of the divisions, I think you are seeing a lot of parity there. There's a great fight coming up this weekend in Bellator for a new bantamweight champion, a kid named Patchy Mix out of uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, trains down at Jackson's with John Jones and that team. 
Uh, he was fighting Juan Archuleta. I think Patchy Mix is an incredibly uh, great prospect in the sport. And I don't know that I would pick him necessarily to beat uh, you know, Peter Yan in the UFC, but I don't think it's crazy to think he could compete against all those guys. So I think the top of the divisions, you're seeing a lot more parity. Where you're seeing the difference is really below that. When you get into that you know, 5 to 10 range in Bellator versus the 5 to 10 range in the UFC, there's a massive gap there because Bellator just doesn't employ as many fighters. You know, when you look at a guy like Michael Chandler, who is one of their best lightweights, he's a free agent right now. He could jump in day one and fight any of the best lightweights in the UFC, and I think he'd do very well. But when you look at the lower end of the lightweight division in Bellator, it just doesn't stack up to the UFC. When you look at guys like Charles Oliveira and Benil Diariush and some of the other guys who are filling out those you know, seven to eight or nine or ten spots, uh, you look at a guy like Jeff Neal in the welterweight division who's barely in the top ten or eleven in the UFC, and I think he would probably be a top three or four guy in Bellator. So, that's where the gap exists, not as much at the top, but when you look at the depth. You know, one thing we don't get a clear picture of are, are finances from either promotion. You might get their reported, you know, guarantees and win bonuses, but there's all these discretionary bonuses and back-end situations for a lot of these fighters. Uh, the ones that have left the UFC to go to Bellator, and you brought up Ryan Bader, and you've got Phil Davis, and you've got somebody else you wrote about recently, Chris Cyborg. I mean, we can go on and on, Rory McDonald. Are they are they better off financially in Bellator? Do you have a sense of how much difference there is between what they were getting at the UFC level versus where they're at with Bellator? Well, if you talk to a lot of them, and I've talked to Ryan Bader, you know, I talked to Corey Anderson, who who recently signed a deal with Bellator and some other fighters, they'll tell you absolutely they're making more money. They're making better money, and they're also going to be free and clear to get whatever sponsors they want to wear on their shorts or you know, on their flag as they as they go out into the cage versus the UFC where that's just not allowed. So when you add that into it as an extra factor, all of them will tell you they're making more money. Disclosed money seems to be comparable in terms of certain fighters. I mean, at the end of the day, nobody's going to make more than what you're getting paid in the UFC when you're getting a pay-per-view bonus. When you're a champion in the UFC and you're Steve Miocic coming off his Daniel Cormier fight or you're uh, you know, even, you know, you know, Khabib Nurmagomedov, you know, who is one of the biggest stars in sport, there's no way Bellator is going to come even close to paying those guys what the UFC is paying them. We're talking multi-millions, and that's just not going to happen in Bellator. But when you're talking about the next the next tier of fighter, you know, they can make, you know, three or $400,000, $200,000, which is, which is a pretty good purse, you know, for a lot of fighters in the UFC. So there is comparable money. But again, those slots are few and far between. Bellator isn't paying everybody you know, right. that kind of money. They're paying Chris Cyborg that money. They're paying Ryan Bader that money. Uh, they're not paying their lower-end guys. And, and on the lower end, you know, UFC guys still typically make more on average. But, you know, again, it depends on you know, what you're looking at. Do you want to be able to have sponsors? Do you have a, a dedicated sponsor who's willing to pay you? You know, ten or twenty grand to fight, which is possible. Then immediately, Bellator becomes a better option because you just don't get that money being in the UFC. Speaking of money, Dustin Poirier says that uh, UFC 254, his matchup with Tony Ferguson, is is not happening. He said, "Quote: UFC and I didn't come to terms. I will not be fighting on October 24th. Is this a negotiating ploy? Is it, is it done? It's a done deal. What do you, what do you think happens with this fight, and how far apart do you think they were financially?" Well, from my understanding, and you know, I, I talked to a lot of sources about this earlier this week. You know, they were pretty far apart in terms of what I heard 
uh, what Dustin wanted and what the UFC was offering. What those numbers were, I don't know exactly. I don't know if it was one side asking for a million dollars and the UFC trying to pay him $100,000. I have no idea about that. But I heard what I was told was they were pretty far apart was literally the, the terminology used to me in terms of the deal being brokered. Uh, is this what's happening right now in negotiating tactic? Absolutely. It always is. I mean, when you make a public statement saying, I'm not fighting and I'm returning home uh, because I didn't get what I was paid, that's absolutely a negotiating tactic because you're hoping to get enough public outcries that the UFC is going to be forced to come back to the table and you know, try to meet a better middle ground for you because everybody wants to see that fight between Dustin and Tony Ferguson. The difference being is how much is the UFC willing to pay to get Dustin Poirier versus finding somebody else who would be willing to fight Tony Ferguson for comparable money. From my understanding, Tony Ferguson's side of the fight was absolutely done. Uh, from my understanding, he had already reached a new deal. I want to say either before the Gaethje fight, the Justin Gaethje fight, or maybe the one before that. So I think he was already pretty happy with what he was being paid. Uh, so it's really going to come down to the UFC. Am I, are they willing to pay another fighter similar money and have them step in for the opportunity to face uh, Tony Ferguson or, you know, is that fight with Justin Poirier so big and so monumental that they're willing to come back to the table and offer him more? That's what we're going to have to wait and see. Considering the amount of damage that Ferguson took in that Gagey fight, that was back in what, May, I believe. Does this feel like a quick turnaround for him? I mean, that was a, that was a blood and guts fight and he took a, a beating in that. I mean, that was a lot of damage in that fight. Uh, would you like to see Ferguson maybe maybe take a little more time off, or do you feel like yeah he's he's fine he's recovered enough and this the timing's perfect? Listen, anytime you see a guy or a girl take that kind of a punishment in a fight, you'd hope they take a year off. But realistically, that just doesn't happen very often in our sport. And you know it is it is unfortunate. I will say this about Tony Ferguson though: that guy has freakish you know healing powers. He's like Wolverine. The guy somehow, you know, just magically gets better. I mean, he had knee surgery after his fight with Habib Nurmagomedov fell apart, and, and typically he probably should have been out for, you know, nine, eight or nine months. He, he ends up booking a fight six months later and comes back and has a phenomenal performance against Anthony Pettis. So I'm not going to doubt that, he, that he's healthy enough and, and ultimately good enough to go. I mean, we're talking about, about you know, we're looking at, you know, around, you know, uh, five months difference made October when they fight. And, and if he feels good and he's in good shape and everyone I've talked to around him says he's good to go, uh, you know, then that's the case. You know, if he bounces back quickly, listen, there's no, the, the scary thing about, you know, something like brain damage, uh, which is a very serious subject, of course, but the thing is there's still so many unknowns. I always bring up a guy, TJ Grant, who was a phenomenal lightweight fighter, had been booked to fight in a title fight in the UFC took an accidental uh, heel kick to the head in a jiu-jitsu practice, had a concussion, never fought again. Literally, he's done. His career mm -hmm. is over from an accidental head kick in a jiu-jitsu at a grappling practice. Uh, and then you get a guy like Tony Ferguson that goes out there and has this just insane fight with Justin Gaethje, takes, you know, whatever, dozens upon dozens of punches, and five months later, and he feels like he's perfectly fine to go. So that's the that's the thing. You can't judge one fighter by another fighter's outcome. Yeah, I mean, Tony's as, as gutsy as it gets. I mean, to, to watch what he went through in that fight. And I, I said as much on Twitter, and then he blocked me for some reason. I'm not sure what happened there. But anyway, uh, moving on to other fighters. Leon Edwards is an interesting guy because he's not a household name. And unless you're a, a big-time MMA fan, you probably have no idea who he is. Yet you look at what he's accomplished and where he should be. 
I mean, is is what's what's in the future for him? It seems like you know he had the beef with Jorge Masvidal that took place behind the curtains and all that good stuff. It didn't lead to the fight everybody thought it would lead to. Where where does he he's saying I'm fighting this year 100? percent Is he being shortchanged by the UFC? Yes and no. I mean, yes because you know you feel like this guy should have already had a bigger fight than what he's been booked in. And you feel like the UFC should have pushed harder to make a bigger fight like the Masvidal fight, considering the history they have from that backstage altercation in London from, you know, over a year ago. It felt like that was a perfect scenario to set up that fight. On the flip side, though, you know, which would have been a massive fight and a chance for him to earn a title shot. And then that card fell apart because of, you know, the coronavirus pandemic. And because at the time he was in England. He couldn't fly back to the United States. That was right when the whole lockdown happened and travel bans were going up, so he couldn't get in. And then he was offered an opportunity to step up into a title fight in July, but he really hadn't been training. You know, obviously everywhere's got different rules with this lockdown and with a title fight. You know, listen, you have one opportunity, and for, for Edwards, it's even bigger because he already lost to Kamar Usman. That's the last fight he lost several years ago. If he loses to Usman a second time, as long as Usman is champion, you got to imagine he's never, you know, he's never uh, getting another bite of that apple. So I understand turning that down on a short notice opportunity. The problem is, is now the divisions have just moved on without him. I mean, you've got, you know, Usman fighting Gilbert Burns. You've got Tyron Woodley fighting Colby Covington next weekend. You've got this fight between Masvidal and Nate Diaz now potentially coming back together for December or January. Uh, and he's kind of left out in the cold. So it's a bit of both. The UFC, I think, should have worked harder to either get him that Masvidal fight or try to find some other way to put him in there. But circumstances being as they are, he just kind of got left out in the cold after that Woodley fight fell apart back in March. If that had happened, we'd have a much different scenario right now for him, assuming he would have won that fight. But unfortunately, you know, COVID-19 kind of ruined that for him. And now, you know, we're looking at maybe he fights Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. That's probably the highest-ranked guy he can get right now. Uh, it's not a bad fight. Wonderboy is a two-time title contender. That's a great matchup, but obviously not nearly as big as what, you know, at the time he thought he should have had. Hey, last one before I let you go, and again, we're speaking with Damon Martin from MMAfighting.com. I keep hearing the name and reading the name Nick Diaz. Nick Diaz is training. Nick Diaz is, uh, you know, 12 pounds away from being on weight. He's... He's ready to return. He's ready for a big fight, a title fight. Is it is it 2011, the last time this guy won a fight? He hasn't been in the cage for I don't know how long, yet there still seems to be some level of excitement or some some momentum behind him getting a, a high profile, if not a title fight. What do you think of that? Well, you know, listen, Nick Diaz is definitely one of the biggest names in the sport, one of the most well-known names in the sport. But the reality is, yeah, he hasn't fought since 2015, and that was uh, kind of an abysmal outing against Anderson Silva when he went up to middleweight. And then his last win came against BJ Penn in 2011. Uh, So we're talking, we're moving on almost a decade now where he hasn't actually had a win in the UFC. Him coming back would absolutely be a big deal because he is a legitimate name when you look at you know, the magnitude of his fight with Carlos Condit, the magnitude of his fight with uh, George, George St. Pierre. You look at the Anderson Silva fight. I mean, he is absolutely a draw, and it would be good to have him back. But the reality is we've been teased like this before. There have been numerous times where we've heard Nick Diaz is coming back. I mean, there was a rumor at one time Nick Diaz was being booked for a fight against Jorge Masvidal. 
Uh, there's been other rumors circulating. So at this point, him coming back is absolutely a big deal. Should he get a title shot or something like that? No. Uh, in no way, shape, or form should he even sniff a title shot at this point. But him coming back would be great for the sport and, and great for that division. The problem is I just won't believe it until it happens. And when I say when it happens, I mean, I may not believe it until Nick Diaz is walking out to the octagon <laughs> uh, because there have been so many stutter steps with this guy. I mean, he had a fight book with George St. Pierre, didn't show up to a press conference, and then he yanked the fight away from him. Yep. And he ended up fighting DJ Penn, and that's the last win he had in 2011. So I'm not going to buy anything. I don't care what anyone says. I don't care who anyone's talking to. I don't care. I've had enough experience with this to know. Until that guy is literally walking out to the cage, I'm not going to completely buy that he's back. Yeah, that's probably the safe bet. That's the safe bet. Damon Martin of MMAfighting.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at Damon Martin. Again, does a great job covering the sport of MMA. And for you uh, movie and uh, TV fans, nerdcoremovement.com is his website uh, for everything that is movies and TV. Damon, we always appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for taking a few minutes, and uh, hopefully we're talking soon. Absolutely. Talk to you soon.